Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. So glad to be here with you, and I'm glad that you chose to spend your Sunday here with us. We are in the second message in our series called Exodus, the Human Story. And this series is called The Human Story because we're not just talking about events that took place 4,000 years ago, but we're talking about how God's story of deliverance actually parallels the story of our own lives. All of us have a story. And if you're sitting here in this room, it means that your story is not yet finished. And each day is another page in your story. But I'm willing to bet that most of us, if not all of us, have pages in our story that we wish that we could go back and erase. Or things that have been written that we wish that we could go back and rewrite. And maybe for some of you, the weight of your past seems to just rob you of joy in your present and maybe even steal some of the excitement away from your future. When you think about moments in your past, you think about the woulda, coulda, shoulda, and you constantly think about it or revisit some of those moments, and you know that for all the times that you think about it and revisit those moments in your past, you still can't change what's already happened. Maybe it's that divorce that you've gone through or losing your job. Maybe you can't erase the pain of abuse or having somebody tell you that you're worthless and that you'll never measure up. Or maybe you're living with some of the regret of choices that you made in high school or in your younger years of life. And the truth is that I think all of us have parts of our past that we're not proud of and we wish that we could go back and erase. But I, what I want to tell you this morning is that God doesn't just have the power to save us, but he also has the power to use you to accomplish a good work for him. Because many of you, you're believers, you've trusted in Jesus for eternal life, but you're still not sure that God could ever do a work in and through you. Maybe you think that your past or your limitations define who you are, and it holds you back and disqualifies you from being used by God to accomplish his mission. The mission of seeing more people follow after Jesus and grow in their walk with him. But the good news is, and please don't miss this, is that God uses broken people to accomplish his mission. And if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, because we'll see very clearly from the life of a guy named Moses that God does indeed use broken people. If you know anything about Moses from the Bible, you probably think of him as like the spiritually elite. Like, of course God would choose Moses to lead a nation out of Egypt. I mean, he's got it all together, right? But what we're going to see today when we look at Moses' story is that Moses is not one of the elite. Actually, if God can use Moses, I'm pretty sure that he can use us too. And before we get into verse 7 of chapter 3, I'll just give you a little bit of a recap on what we talked about last week and the background on this story here. See, last week we talked about how the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt. They moved there because of a famine. And then after a few generations later, there came to be a pharaoh 
who did not appreciate everything that Joseph had done in protecting them from a famine. And so this Pharaoh becomes intimidated by the Israelite people because they're growing into a pretty big nation. And he's afraid if they ever fight against the Egyptians, that the Egyptians will be in some pretty big trouble. And so he puts them into slave labor. And then he even sends out this decree that all the Israelite baby boys are to be murdered. And Israel is going under some pretty serious oppression. But even in those dark moments, even in all the oppression that they're facing, God has not forgotten about his chosen people. And what we're about to read about is God's words to Moses in chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Persazites, and Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God saw the suffering of his people, and he says that he's coming down to deliver them from the hands of the Egyptians. And I don't know what Moses was thinking in that moment, but if I was Moses, I'd be thinking, yes, God is coming to the rescue. He's about to come down, put the Egyptians in their place, and then deliver the Israelites and bring them to freedom. But then God pulls a fast one on Moses, and, he, and God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God did indeed have a plan to rescue his people from Egypt, and his plan involved Moses. You see, God can accomplish whatever he wants with or without our help. But sometimes he wants us to get in on the action, both for our personal growth and for the good of others. And Moses, he wanted to see God fix the problem and lead these people out of slavery, but he didn't want to be part of the solution. I think often we're in the same boat. We want to see God fix a problem, but we don't want to be part of the solution. In verse 11, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Are those the kind of questions that you ask? The who am I kind of questions? Maybe you know that God has the power to do some amazing things. You're like, all right, I don't question that. God can change people's lives. He can do some awesome things. But there's no way that he could ever use me to be a part of that mission. My past, my limitations, it just it would hold me back. Well... Let me tell you a little bit more about Moses. Moses was born into a family of slaves, and from the time that Moses took his first breath, he was under the sentence of the death penalty. The king of Egypt declared that all the baby boys should be thrown into the Nile River. But thankfully, Moses was born with good looks, and his mother just couldn't bear to throw him away into the Nile River. 
And so Moses' mother kept him hidden for three whole months. Now that's a long time to keep a baby quiet because if they ever got busted, the whole family would be under a very severe penalty. And they came to a point when they just couldn't keep baby Moses anymore because he would blow their cover. And so Moses' mother makes Moses a boat, which is little more than just a basket. And then she sets that basket in the water. And this is a, a Jesus take the wheel kind of moment, like, just put my baby in the water and see what happens. And so Moses' mother leaves baby Moses in the, in the water in the Nile River and leaves Moses' sister there just to watch at a distance and to see what will happen. And I honestly think that this is the first miracle in the Exodus story and just how things play out afterwards. Because the daughter of Pharaoh, the princess of Egypt, comes down to the river to bathe and she happens to see this basket floating in the water. And so she says to her servants, hey, go check that out for me. Bring it over here. And she sees that it's an Israelite baby. And it says that she felt sad for this baby. And then Moses' sister approached the princess and said, hey, would you like me to find an Israelite woman to take care of this baby for you? The princess is like, yes, please. This is... The crazy part of the story, Moses' mother spent three months just trying to hide her baby and protect her, and now Moses' mother is being paid money to take care of her very own baby. And after Moses had grown up a little bit, he was taken back to the princess of Egypt, and he was adopted by her and began living like royalty. We might think that Moses just had his life all put together at this point. But then he made some choices that changed the whole course of his life. And I bet you Moses wished that he could go back and rewrite some of the things in his story that we are about to read. But before we get into a little bit more about Moses' life, I just want to bring this truth to your attention so that we can look at this as a lens uh, through which we see the story of Moses and also for how we see the story of our own lives. And the truth is this, you may let your past define you, but God doesn't. So let's take a look at Moses' past in chapter 2, verse 11. In uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his very own people, looking this way and that to see and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled away from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. All right, so now the truth of Moses' past is out. Moses is a murderer. I mean, he wanted to help out this guy. So he, he looks around, and he doesn't see anybody around to tattle on him. 
and he kills this Egyptian. But then by the very next day, it seems like everybody knows what he did. And it's not long before the king of Egypt finds out. Now, I I have a pretty good idea of who spilled the beans about what Moses did. I mean, if Moses looked around and didn't see anyone, that means there's three people involved in this scenario. One of them is dead, and I don't think Moses would tattle on himself. So it's pretty likely that the very person that Moses tried to help is the one who ratted Moses out. And now Moses is running for his life because Pharaoh wants to kill him. So Moses hightails it all the way from Egypt to Midian. And I throw a map up here just to show you how far Moses traveled to get away from his past. And moving to Midian was like a fresh start for Moses. It's like a clean slate. He married a local girl, started a family, and took up the occupation of shepherding. And it seems like he's finally settling down to believe that he lived in the land for 40 years. But even after being settled down, God gets his attention. Let's jump to chapter 3 and verse 1. This is how, Mo- this is how God got Moses' attention. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God reveals himself to Moses through the flames of this bush. And up to this point, it's been about 500 years since God has revealed himself to someone and spoken so directly. But even in all those years of silence, God has not forgotten about his chosen people. And this is where God tells Moses his plans to send him back to Egypt to deliver the Israelite people. And out of all the people that God could have chosen for this task, he chose Moses. Moses could have been like, hey God, you might already know this, but I tried to help these people and it didn't work out so well. Now I'm a murderer, and the people back there really don't like me all that much. Or Moses could have brought up the fact that he's just a shepherd. He leads sheep, not people. There's got to be someone out there who's better at leading the nation of people. God knew all these things about Moses' past. He knew that he was a murderer. He knew that he was a shepherd. But God But those things did not disqualify Moses from being used by God. And you might let your past define you, but God doesn't. Moses saw himself through the lens of his past as a murderer and a shepherd, but God saw Moses for who he could be, the leader of a nation. 
It's not very often that I scroll through my Facebook feed because for the most part, it's just full of like essential oil advertisements and food recipes, like a bunch of stuff I really don't care to look at. But the videos that catch my attention the most are usually videos where somebody takes something that's like old and rusted and fallen apart and then makes it something that looks brand new again. And I think it takes somebody with a lot of creativity and patience to look past just the brokenness and the fact that something has fallen apart and to see what it can become. And I love seeing the before and after pictures. I think that the more rusted and messy and broken the thing is to begin with, the more I'm impressed with the finished product. And I wonder if God ever looks at us the same way. I wonder... Even though we have a messy past, that he sees not just who we are, but what we could be. He doesn't just see the potential in the people who have their lives all put together. Even in a broken and messy past, maybe God looks at you and says, I can do a work in and through you. Maybe that's God's specialty. And the more broken and messy of your past. And when God does a work in your life, the more we step back and say, wow, look at what God can do in a broken life. We see this in people who their marriage fell apart. They, maybe they went through a messy divorce, but God can still use them to come alongside other people who are going through a rough patch in their marriage. We see this and maybe women who have abortions in their past, and they feel guilty over it, but God is able to use them to speak into the lives of other women. Or maybe it's drug addicts and substance abusers who've turned their life around, and now they're helping other people who are struggling with addictions and sharing the hope of the gospel. I recently heard a story of a guy named Brian Welsh who was a member in a very popular metal band. And at the peak of this band's success, he just felt discontented with life. And he turned to all kinds of drugs. His marriage fell apart. And then some Christians invited him to church. And from that experience, he gave his life to God and turned things around. And he's still a member of that metal band, but at the end of all their uh, concerts, he'll get together a group of like 20 to 30 people for a backstage experience. And then he'll share the gospel with them and talk about how God transformed his life from brokenness into becoming a new person in Jesus. And even if you've grown up in the church and you maybe you have a track record of making pretty good decisions, there might be some things in your past that perhaps nobody else knows about, but you feel like that's defining you. You may let your past define you, but God doesn't. And the second truth to remember is this. You might let your limitations define you, but God doesn't. God went on to explain his instructions to Moses for freeing the people of Israel from slavery. And Moses just just full of objections because he thinks that he doesn't have the abilities to do it. He thinks that he has too many limitations. Let's read about that in chapter 4 in verse 1. 
Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. I think if Moses can do this, he can do anything. And he said, this said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So I think Moses' mind, when he hears this from God, it's just racing to come up with all these reasons why he's not the man for this calling. And he's throwing out all the what-if scenarios. He's like, yeah, but what if I show up in the Egyptian palace and I say, all right, Pharaoh, uh, these people need some PTO time to go to the wilderness and worship God. And Pharaoh's going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, like, God didn't show up to you. And so Moses is afraid that he's just not persuasive enough. And it seems like a valid point. But would God really send Moses on a mission that he knows would fail? I don't think so. I think that God uses his power to cover up for Moses' limitations. And so God has this comeback for Moses Moses is like, all right, I got to come up with another excuse now. And so we'll read about that in verse 10. Then Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. He's being all polite now, trying to talk him his way out of this. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths and who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send one else. Send someone else. Moses is saying that he's not cut out for this job because he has a speech impediment. God is expecting Moses to just march into the Egyptian palace and announce to Pharaoh and all those government officials that it's time for the people to leave now. And then Moses is just probably picturing this scenario and imagining himself just stumbling over his words and probably making a fool of himself. But if God had this plan all along to use Moses as a leader of these people and to deliver them from Egypt... Wouldn't you think that, that God would make Moses an elegant speaker? Like God admits that from the time of somebody's birth, God decides if they have abilities or disabilities. God could have made it so that Moses was like the most elegant speaker ever. But instead, God chose to give Moses a speech impediment. If Moses follows through with this calling that God has given him, There's no way that Moses can rely on his own speaking skills because Moses doesn't have any speaking skills. So he has to rely wholeheartedly on God to give him the strength to say what he needs to say and to give him the words to say. How many of you get discouraged by your limitations? I sure do. 
I feel like I can relate to Moses with being slow of speech. Like literally, this last week I went back and listened to one of my messages on the podcast and I remember thinking like, wow, I talk so slow. I bumped that thing up to two speed. I'm like, all right, that's a little bit better. Like some people say that they have a face for radio. I kind of think sometimes that I have a voice for photography. (laughs) But we should not let our limitations or our past define us. You see, God could have made it so that we excel at everything that we do. But instead, he gave us all different strengths and weaknesses. And God did not give you a limitation to disqualify you from doing anything great for him. Maybe he gave you that limitation so that you would trust in his strength or so that when you do accomplish something great for God that you can't give yourself a pat on the back because you had it all together. But you give God all the credit because God's power was coming through in your weakest moments. You see, it wasn't Moses' limitations that were holding him back from God's calling. The only thing that was holding Moses back from his calling was just his willingness. Your limitations, they're not going to go away overnight. They might not go away at all in the rest of your lifetime. But the only thing that might be holding you back from doing something for God and being used by him It's just your willingness. Are you waiting for your limitations to go away before you talk to somebody about Jesus? Are you waiting for your limitations to go away before you start serving in the church? Are you waiting for your limitations to go away before you start investing in somebody's life outside of church? You see, you might let your limitations define you, but God doesn't. And he just wants you to respond to his calling in your life with a willing attitude and to just trust in him and in his strength. Neither your past nor your limitations should define you. Your past is not predictive of your future. I heard this true story of a high school student who was just like bombing in academics. Like he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, just skipping classes all the time, and his grades were just going down the tube. But then he promised his mother that he would take the SAT. And the SAT is just a standardized test, and depending on the grade that you get for this test might determine the kind of college scholarship that you get. So this kid, he takes the SAT, and he gets his grade back, And the grade that he got back was like a top-level grade. Like only geniuses get that kind of grade. And so, of course, his mother is skeptical, and she's like, did you cheat? He's like, I tried to cheat, but I couldn't. It was so hard to cheat on this test. And then this grade changed the way that this high school kid started to think, and it changed the way of how he started to behave. He thought, you know what, if I'm actually smart, then maybe I should start paying attention in classes. And so for his senior year, he stopped hanging out with the bad influences, and he started paying attention in his classes and actually going to class. And his teachers were starting to think, you know what, maybe we misjudged this kid. Maybe he actually has some potential. 
And after high school, he went on to a community college. And after community college, he went on to a state college. And from a state college, he went on to an Ivy League university. And from there, he went on to be a very successful entrepreneur. Now, maybe when you hear this story, you think, all right, so the kid was smart all along, but he, did, he just didn't try, or he didn't know that he was smart until he took the SAT. But this is the crazy part of the story. Several years later, he gets a letter in the mail, and when he reads it, he's informed that he was among 13 students who received the wrong test grade on the SAT. And actually, his real test grade was pretty terrible. But he changed the whole course of his life when he changed his thinking and changed his behavior. One commentator on this story said that your, your past is not predictive of your future. Your past is real, but the only thing that makes your past predictive of your future is if your behavior stays the same. Now, what if we changed the way we think and we behave. You see, just because you have a broken and messy past, it doesn't mean that you are doomed to a broken and messy future. What if you started believing that God really could work in and through you? What if you started living like the power of God is greater than your limitations? I really do believe that God can use us to accomplish some pretty amazing things for him. None of us are perfect. We don't have a perfect track record in our past. We have our fair share of limitations. But those things don't define us. They don't disqualify us. And if we are simply willing to be used by God for the calling that he has on our life, I think God can do some pretty awesome things in and through us. So here are just some next steps. The first is to serve in church. And I know we have talked about this quite a bit where we'll say, all right, we need some help in kids' ministry or you could serve as a greeter or do all kinds of things. We've got a list of different areas of ministry that you can get involved in. But those aren't the only areas of ministry that maybe you can serve in. Maybe you have a unique passion or talent for serving in the church that we just don't even know that we need, or we don't even know that you can do that yet. Uh, just last week, a lady in our church named Donna came up to me, and she asked if she could make a balloon archway for Halloween. Like, she had talent with balloons. I'm like, well, we didn't have, like, a balloon ministry category, but that's awesome. And so she put that together, and it was really great. We have ladies in the church who like write cards and send those to people who are sick or going through times of discouragement. And so instead of just saying sign up for one of these kind of ministries that we already have, I have a sign up out at the Welcome Center. It just says your name and then you could put down any kind of like passion or talent that you have. Maybe it's not something that you're committing to do all the time, but hey, if you have a talent for doing card tricks, like, that's cool. Let us know, and, and maybe we can get you involved in serving and doing that for God and for the church and using uh, the abilities that he has given you for that. The other thing that you could do, the next step that you can take, is to just invite somebody to church. 
Maybe you felt like your limitations have been holding you back because it's pretty uncomfortable sometimes to invite people to church. But you can take this next step in believing the strength of God is bigger than your limitations and just have the willingness to invite one person to church next Sunday. And the next thing that you could do, it's not really a next step, but just a resource that I want to make available to you is we have this book. We had this book out at the Welcome Center. We're all sold out on them right now. But this is a book that we all read on Bridgewater staff. It's just our overall uh, really good book to help you live in this world as a Christian. And since there's, this is the only copy left, if you are interested in this book, you can just go to the Welcome Center and we'll write down your name and make sure we have one available for you. This, this book is $12 and it's just a resource that I want to make easily accessible to you and it comes with a recommendation. Like I think it is a really helpful book for growing in your faith. With all of that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a big God, so much bigger than our weaknesses, so much bigger than our past. And God, I wish that I was good at everything, um, but I'm thankful that even when I am weak, that you are strong. And I'm thankful that, that you are the one who reminds me that, um, God, you deserve all the credit. And we just want to be willing. We want to be used by you. And I ask that you would be working in all of our hearts here this morning uh, to know that our, the brokenness of our past, our limitations are not things that disqualify us from being used by you. You even gave us those kind of limitations. So help us to just navigate that by trusting in you. And I thank you for everybody here this morning. And I ask that we continue to just have hearts of worship as we close this service and as we go about the rest of our day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.